I was driving over here this morning, and I was thinking how excited I was to be able to come and worship with you. And so that's a great feeling. I'm sure it won't be like that every Sunday, but (laughs) it was this Sunday. I hope you felt the same way. We are going to be talking about uh, dinner and darkness today. So I've been thinking about food. I never used to cook at all. Um, I remember going, when I would visit my parents, my dad was super into Food Network, and I thought it was ridiculous. Iron Chef. Now it's like the only channel I watch almost. Uh, and so something changed in my, in my life. I, I remember uh, just going through and, and just grilling. Grilling's great. And, uh, and, and now I, then I started cooking these food boxes, and that really helped me understand recipes and flavors and techniques. And uh, so I, I enjoy that. Eric apparently is going to show us some of his tricks cooking tricks. Um, my latest obsession is crabby tots. Oh, those are good. You know, tater tots with crab dip and cheese. Anytime there's potatoes, I'm making those for sure. Julie said, enough. Let's give it a rest. Not going to do it. And then um, back in December... We were driving to Christmas, and I asked my daughter, Anna, to load up some Baltimore podcasts, and she found this one by Chef Nancy, where they were making crab cotties. And so I really enjoyed that, and then when we moved here, I looked her up, and her restaurant is a block from my house. So I've been stalking Chef Nancy, like once a week she hears from me, phone call, email, cannot get enough of Chef Nancy Last thing, and then we'll start, is I made for you macaroni salad. I made a comfort food, that my, my mom's recipe, and I really hope none of you will eat it. <laughs> because I want to take every single bit home. I will let you have a spoonful. That big pot over there would be gone in my house in a day, for sure. No, please, please enjoy that. I'm looking forward to hearing what you think. Darkness dinner. We're going to start with darkness. We're going out of order. You know, in this Easter season, we go out of order fairly often because next week is going to be Palm Sunday, so we're going to go backwards in our narrative in Luke, and then I'm not going to, we're not going to be all together for um, Good Friday, but you'll hear more about that, and then of course Easter Sunday. So we're going to cover really the, the end right before the crucifixion with all the things that are happening. Darkness. Okay, there are several dark parts in this last bit. The first one is when Jesus goes to pray. And he, he asks the disciples to come with him, except for Judas, because Judas is gone by this point. So there's these 11 disciples. Interesting to see, you know, maybe even a time like this, can you name them? There's a couple ones that you forget pretty easily. So they're, they're, the 11 of them, they're, they're ready They're confident. They might be confused because Jesus is all the time saying some stuff that they don't understand. So this is in 2240. He tells them that he wants them to go with him and pray, but what do they do instead? Sleep. When we were in Norman doing our UF, U2 did their stadium concert series 2006, 2007 in there. 
And so they booked the University of Oklahoma Stadium. And so we were able to walk as a family to a U2 concert. That's pretty amazing, except Anna was like six. And she didn't know, care about U2 at all. So around 8 o'clock at night, she started whining and complaining and eventually fell asleep. Now, she was only six. But at one of the greatest bands in the world concert. Still tease her about that to this day. Now, these apostles aren't six. But they're acting a little bit like six. They don't really understand the importance of what's about to happen. And they're tired. Maybe they're exhausted. Maybe they're bored. I don't know. So this all happens, and then eventually, right after that, Judas shows up and gives him what? What does Judas give Jesus? The kiss of death. The mark. This is the one. This is the man. That actually carried on into like mafia days in the 1700s, started again. Uh, they would, the boss man would kiss the person that was going to die. So it all, all connected comes from this. And so this is where, um, you know, Judas betrays the Son of Man, and Jesus even asked him, are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Yes. And continuing with our wrestling theme, this is where Peter goes, are you ready to rumble? I know that's boxing, but when it's called wrestling, three weeks in a row wrestling now. So are you ready to rumble? And he cuts off an ear. Now, you know, an ear is pretty close to a head. And Peter is a fisherman. So I don't know what his uh, swordman skills are. Maybe pretty good up close when he's filleting a fish. So I don't know how close up he got. And also think about there's a crowd all these people, right? There's the chief priests, there's officers, there's elders. There is 500 Roman soldiers there. Brash, brash, impetuate Peter. Then Jesus says, this is the hour and the power of darkness. 2253, when I was with you day after day, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. It's so dark. And Jesus is led away. Peter follows at a distance. He, he, they're going to the high priest's house. And there's this fire in the courtyard. They're warming themselves, a, a flickering fire, a little bit of light. And Peter denies Jesus the first two times, just like Jesus had told him that he would. He's afraid. He's heard the plots. He, there's tension in the air. He's seen the violence. He's freaked out, nervous. And they're asking him, were you there? Do you know him? Are you one of the numbers? He's like, hey, I just want to be uh, anonymous. I'm just a Galilean here. I don't know what you're talking about. And you sense that fire flickering. It's a little darker. As Peter is slithering. Now, I think, I can't prove this in any sense, but I think Peter and Jesus are almost best friends. If you can be best friends with Jesus, I don't know. He's the closest of the apostles. And so this moment right here, betraying his friend, denying that he knows him, 
is a really big deal. It's the dark night of the soul for Peter. And right then, right, the rooster crows on that third time. The rooster crows, this marker that Jesus had said, you will remember when the rooster crows. I always think it's interesting that Jesus didn't stop Peter. He didn't say, hey, Peter, you know, when that happens, hold on to this bracelet, and that'll give you strength to remember that we're friends forever. Touch your necklace. Don't do it, Peter. He just says, this is what's going to happen. And Peter, of course, brashly, confidently says, no, it will never happen. And here he is right in that place. Leave me alone. The sham trial begins. This is an illegal assembly of the elders and the scribes, this council, and they mock Jesus, they blindfold him, they beat him. This is a, a, a torture, maybe not of the worst kind. It's, it's graphic, it's violent, it's humiliating, it's degrading on purpose. It's almost like they're hoping that if they do all this, then Jesus will say, okay, I'm out. I'm not who I said I was. If they could convince them, then they don't even have to go through with all this other stuff. Julie and I were watching Inventing Anna. Have you heard? Anna Delvey, she was the socialite, German socialite who came over and pretended to be rich and wealthy and uh, eventually you know, got discovered. And uh, There's a point near the end where the journalist who's in on all this says, Anna, just stop. Stop pretending you are this person because you are this person. That's what, that's what they want Jesus to do is just stop. In fact, Luke the historian, it's interesting, he, he t- talks about so much, but look at this in uh, 2265. After he's talking about this, you know, prophesy, what is it, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Luke's not even going to write it all down. It's, it's too painful. He writes down a lot, but he doesn't write all the blaspheming down. You can only imagine how much worse it was than this. Are you the son of God then, Jesus? Yes. There we have it. So they take him and they send him to Pilate, right? Pilate is the governor of the Roman province of Judea. He serves under the emperor Tiberius. This is a low-level position. It is not prestigious at all. He is trying to get up the ladder to someplace better and cooler, prettier. He doesn't want trouble, that's for sure. That would be putting a spotlight on him. So he's got this Jewish people, Roman people problem with this guy who's messing things up. He's got the Jewish authorities all worked up. This uh, Pilate would be primarily a military guy, not a politician very much. But he does not need this problem. But he's interested in the guy everybody's been talking about. Even Pilate has heard about Jesus. And he says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, as you say. Pilate says, you're not guilty. But he's a troublemaker, Pilate. He's a rabble rouser. 
He is going to cause you problems if you let this keep going. Now, isn't it interesting in the Apostles' Creed, which we're going to say here pretty soon, there are two names, only two. The Apostles' Creed doesn't talk about Peter. doesn't talk about Joseph. There's a lot of people. It talks about Mary, Jesus' birth, and Pilate, who stands in to represent Jesus' death, and also adds historicity to the whole thing. You can look up and find Pilate. It also brings us to the mind, and we're reminded that we participated in the death of Jesus. So they take him to Herod. Herod, you know, is the king of the Jews. Not really like the kings before at all. This is... uh, the son of Herod the Great. This Herod is the one that John the Baptist was in conflict with, that eventually, because of these marriages and all this stuff, they had John the Baptist's head on a platter. And he wanted to meet Jesus, and now was his chance. And he mocks him, dress him up, and sends him back to Pilate. It's really Pilate's problem, not Herod's. And Pilate says, you're not guilty. He's not guilty. He hasn't done anything wrong. And so that's when they pull out who? Barabbas. There was a tradition where they could switch, swap someone out. Someone guilty for someone they don't want. That's in 22:18 through 25, a little earlier. They say, give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. And so they take a a known criminal and they release him and they take the perfect person and want to crucify him instead. See the darkness in all this? It's so dark. I was Googling the darkness and there's a movie, 2016, a supernatural horror film that has Kevin Bacon in it. It's got to be great. I can't wait to watch it. A supernatural force feeds off their fears and takes over their lives. Sounds great, doesn't it? The darkness. It's scary. It's where monsters hide. Now, kids, this is not really true exactly, but metaphorically, golems hang out in the darkness, right? The... There's a song that we sing called, uh, I don't know what it's called, and it talks about the weeds of grief. The weeds of grief are the dark widow's clothes. We grieve the loss and pain of death. Do you feel the darkness? In your own heart, in our society, in our world, do you see it? Does it sometimes press in on you? We'll come back to this. But let's get to dinner. <clears throat> when uh, my son Drew, my third child, was a senior, Anna was a freshman or sophomore, I don't remember, and Drew, one of Drew's best friend's parents had moved away, and he wanted to finish his senior year, so he moved in with us. His name was Nathan. So I had three teenage kids, and they all rode. So they ate like crazy. I would 
for dinner make 15 chicken breasts? Because I would eat one, and Julie would eat one, and they would eat the rest. Nathan would eat three, and then he would eat one for dessert, and then he would eat one for breakfast. That's five. So needless to say, I was not preparing gourmet meals. It was more just quantity. Stick them on the grill, put a salad on the plate, there you go. They were happy with that, a little barbecue sauce. They were fine. Now contrast that with, back to Chef Nancy, stalking is good sometimes. Don't take that the wrong way. She uh, told us that she was having a, a Julia Child dinner. And uh, so we went, this was a week ago, Sunday, and we sat, uh, maybe there were 15 of us, and we got served a five-course dinner from the documentary. Like the same things they had on it, we had. And so I had soul, other people had beef, bourgeon, bourgeon, way, bourgeon day, French name thing. We had a charcuterie board. What is it? Beef Burgundon. But yeah, that, that thing. And I can say charcuterie, though. Uh, that's a really good hangman uh, word to pull out on your kids. Uh, we had a soup. You know, we had a beautiful meal, and then we had our dessert. It was, it was wonderful. It was so good. Uh, being all together being blessed by this amazing chef. Oh. And so, so here we are at this meal, this Passover meal, right? Passover is uh, the reason why everybody's in town. It's this massive, huge celebration. And it involves this meal, this Passover meal. And I really like to go all into this. This is the thing that we're going to talk about. If you want to join and join us at the supper, we're going to be talking about these very topics. But here they are in 22... Verse 3, while this is happening, listen to this. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot. Judas is so disappointed. This guy is not who he thinks he should be. He's followed along all this way. Interestingly enough, you don't hear very much from Judas. He's pretty silent. You hear a lot from Peter. Like Peter's talking all the time, puts his foot in his mouth over and over and over again. But look what happens. And look what happens to the guy that's processing and never getting revealed. He's the one who says, I'm not going to do this anymore. And they come to Judah saying, we want you to betray Jesus. He goes for it. 30 pieces, probably 30 pieces of, of silver, not shekels. That would be the price of a slave. Versus the price of Jesus' blood. You know, of course, then after all this, Judas gives it back. They don't really want it. It's blood money, so they purchase this field of blood. The potter's field. The, the, the ground is red, not from blood, but it looks like that. So the corrupt priests pay a slave price because they think they're saving the world. This is their plan to save every from, everyone from Jesus, to rid the world of Jesus, and Satan enters into him. That is scary right there. 
The darkness is coming. It's, 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 it's closing in. So they have this Passover meal. This is connected to, to Exodus. When God let his people go through Moses, the prophet, the, the leader, and they get out, and then they want to remember what happened. And so, so God tells them, every year you're going to have this festival, this, this meal, and everyone's going to participate. In fact, the youngest child has a, a big speaking role. The youngest child says, why is this night different than every other? So it's participatory. And there are things that, that, that mark this, different cups, formats, a schedule, courses, customs, wines, phrases, foods. This night is different. This is the night that we're in right here. And we have two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? The baptism comes previous to this in, in Genesis, and it's connected to circumcision, a marking, and it gets transformed as we come through the New Testament. Not completely changed, but transformed. There's no blood. It's a wider covenant, a wider marking, not just for boys, but for boys and girls. And this is the other one, the Lord's Supper, right? It comes from the Passover. It comes through the New Testament. And it changes. It's not totally different. It's, it's the marking of, of how we are redeemed by the blood. But we've paid the blood, so we don't have blood anymore. Simple, profound. We are invited. We are fed. A meal of grace, not of merit. Where one died so that we could be set free. And remember also that Jesus had washed their feet as a slave, as a servant. Remember also that at this meal, Jesus served Peter and Judas. Super interesting to think about. The greatest is the one who serves. Teaches them that and he shows them that. Just imagine this, this meal. The wonder and the laughter and the friendship, and the camaraderie, and the purpose, and all of what we talked about at the beginning is about to come. The darkness is getting closer and closer and closer and closer. Even though these are the tribes, the new kingdom, the, the awesome change and, and revelation of God is, is here in this room. It's all about to go down. And when we go back and look at the darkness, what is Jesus doing in all of it? That's something that we can consider too in our lives. Uh, when my dad was in the hospital and you know, all this, this happened, what's Jesus doing in the darkness? Well, in this darkness, you know, at the Mount of Olives, he's interceding. He's praying for us, for you, for his people. He's taking the cup of wrath upon himself. When he's arrested, he gives himself up. He doesn't fight. They sent a lot of people for one guy. This is a mob. This is, this is the, the number of soldiers that you would come in to like take over a town. 
500 Roman soldiers is a big, huge deal to get this guy. And, you know, Jesus has obvious power. If you look in, in John, in this same passage, John 18, all the soldiers fall down on the ground. Can you imagine what Jesus could have done to anyone? He heals this soldier's ear. Because he loves his enemy, prays for those who persecute him. In the trials, he says, I am he. He says, I am the son of God. He says, I am the son of man. He says, I am the king of the Jews. And he says, I will be the substitute. And then there's this other one I just really want to make sure you see because it's so easy to miss. This is in Luke twenty-two sixty-one, where at the very end of this passage, it's tucked in, the, in Peter's denial story in the darkness. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. This is a question for you today. What do you think that look looked like? What look did Jesus give Peter? The one who had just denied him three times. Just He'd been so confident not very long ago. He said, I will never do it. I mean, I would probably give him my I told you so look. Or, uh, I'm so disappointed in you. We know that Peter weeps bitterly. Here's more crying like we talked about before. One of my favorite songs is one by David Ramirez. I'll put it in the Wednesday email. And he says this. I'll leave some of it out. I forgot how to kiss and mean it. Every pause, every slip of my tongue. I've been loyal to the wants of my lustful heart and unfaithful to my friend, love. And then it turns, he says, but you remind me of who I was and who I want to be. You remind me that although I'm not whole, I'm not empty. There are things I lost in the fire of time, things I thought again I'd never see. But when it's hard for me to recall my own name, you remind me. I love that song so much because, um, well, I, I love it so much that I send it to some of my dear friends. Just like you, I have dear friends who have done incredibly terrible things. Sometimes when I'm involved in that, or I know about it, I'll put it in my calendar and I'll call them or text them on the day, uh, anniversary of their worst day. Now that sounds crazy, right? But I'm calling them to remind them that that worst day is not who they are. That they have gotten past it. That there is redemption and hope. And on that worst day, they could never imagine what could come ahead. Maybe it was the day they did the thing. Or maybe it was the day they got found out about the thing they did. And I want to say that is not you. Although you are not whole, you are not empty. 
Let me at least be one who reminds you that Jesus loves you. That you can be forgiven. That you are Christ's and He is yours. And so that's why I am super confident that that look that Jesus gave Peter is a look of love, kindness, forgiveness. And that undid Peter. He expected what we would all expect. Judgment, punishment, disappointment. And he got love, forgiveness, So when we come to the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that Jesus loves us. That we come to this table broken, betrayers, deniers, or or maybe just sleepy, not excited, distracted, doubting. And, And yeah, you know, you blew it this week. Or this year. And you know, you're not that great. I hate to break it to you. You already know that. But you're invited to the table. So you can respond and participate in Jesus' love. Not by your merit. You can't be good enough to be able to eat here. But you also can't be too bad. That's not how grace works. It works through the giving from another to you for what you do not deserve. And so then we come together in wonder and friendship and laughter and purpose. The way meals work is is we have fellowship with each other. It's, It's called the communion where we are together And the thing is, we're not just reminded, we're fed. We take it into ourselves, it becomes a part of us. It's the way faith is. Because Jesus is praying for us now. He is interceding for us now. Jesus is healing us now. Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of Man. And He pours Himself out for us to serve us. And that Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples, there was no lamb on the table. Because the lamb was at the table. About to sacrifice himself. About to to shed the blood that would go on the doorpost that would allow everyone to enter in and not have to die an eternal death. He is the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the light of the world shining into the darkness, coming into the the cracks and crevices as, as far as anywhere. Down to the bottom, up to the top. He is the way and the truth and the life. And He says to you, not me, but He says to you through me, you are forgiven. Your dignity is restored. Your shame is taken away. You are invited to the meal that I have prepared for you that cost me everything. Now, you know, it's not ramen. It's not hot dogs. 
It's not 15 chicken breasts, uh, but it's better than Julia. It's better than Krabby Tots, and that's saying something. This comes into the darkness and illuminates, orients, restores. We sang that he is stronger than the darkness and new every morn. We sang our sins there are many, but his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. Amen. That's why the rooster has become this little symbol of forgiveness, of a new day. Back in the Reformation, when churches were changing over, they would put roosters on the top of their churches to say the darkness is gone. There is a new day coming. And that's what the rooster reminds us. This rooster gets transformed away from the annoying rooster, bully of the yard, to the herald of a new day. There is a further new day coming where Jesus sets everything right. And then these days are pictures of that as we get to enter into it, not yet in its fullness, but not not here. Amen.